DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain's Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We now continue our conversation on the Sixth Mansion, Chapter 6. You know, it's such a remarkable thing. I mean, in her examples, she speaks of religious, but yet there are many who are not only sharing this in our conversations, Anthony, but who have read these pages, and in this particular chapter, for quite literally centuries, who are lay people, who have been called to a life of service within the vocation of marriage, or maybe for whatever that reason may be, they may be experiencing a single life. But yet they read this, and is that possible for me within the vocation that I'm living? Am I ever going to be able to have something like that? And yet we do have experiences of saints who have had that freedom, that release from the fear of even dying so that they can give and share in that relationship of faith. And I think of people like, I mean, very practical people like John Beretta Mala, a mother of children who, even though she might experience death, the freedom to be able to continue on to give birth to a child when everyone else was giving her a pass to let that child go so that she could live. I'm not saying that she was in the sixth mansion and this particular state in the, in the castle, but you begin to get glimpses of it, of how it can look in our day. Can't we, Anthony? I mean, is that possible? Sure. One of the things I was thinking about that Teresa kind of also uh, observes is, uh, you know, no matter what our state in life is or or who we are, uh, we always see the limitations. She's talking about, you know, wanting to go out in the wilderness and realizing because for whatever reasons, she can't go out into the wilderness like the desert fathers. And yet that's a desire in her heart. You might also think about Therese of Lisieux in manuscript B of the story of the soul. Therese of Lisieux is complaining she wants to be a missionary in China. She wants to be a priest, a prophet. She has all these desires for all these different vocations that are in her. And, and she goes, oh, Lord, but here I am, a cloister religious. I can't be a missionary in the remotest parts of the world or become, there's no way I'm going to be martyred in my convent. You know, I can only give you what I can give you, but why do I have all these desires? And basically what the Lord tells Therese of Lisieux is your vocation is love. You are love in the heart of the church. And without love, all these other vocations, the prophets and the priests and the apostles, the missionaries, the martyrs, their witnesses are empty if there's no love in them. And so your job is to be love. Well, what was told Therese analogously applies to all of us, no matter our state in life, is 
fathers and mothers of families and spouses and and children of parents and grandparents whom we need to take care of and or whatever our job is in our communities that God has entrusted us with or whatever we're doing in our parishes, the love that we put into the work that God has put around us, the love we put into our relationships, the forgiving and seeking forgiveness and praying for those who've persecuted us or hurt us in different ways, and, um, and, and but also walking with and accompanying and supporting our friends. All of these things, the more love we do, we put into these things for the sake of the Lord. And the more we give ourselves over to the love of the Lord, he will work with whatever the particular circumstances. Christian holiness consists, the very nature of it, operationally in terms of the, the way it's manifest, holiness is manifest in the Christian life so that others can see it. It's manifest by love. You know, operationally, we say, or in terms of human activity, Christian holiness is characterized by love. You know, in the substance of our soul, we can say it's characterized by grace. But in terms of the way we act and treat and live in this world, it's by love. And no matter what our vocation is, the more we love, the holier we are. And Therese, Teresa of Avila in the sixth mansion right now, the sixth chapter of the sixth mansion, she's talking about the freedom of love, the freedom of love in the face of death, the freedom of love in terms of whether we bear great sorrow or we don't bear great sorrow, the freedom in terms of whether we suffer persecution or we don't suffer persecution, the, the joy, the jubilation that should seize our heart, the, the yearning for the Lord that should be part of our Christian life. The Lord is bringing to birth these things. These, this is what happens when we're in the cocoon of prayers. We put ourselves in that cocoon and we learn to die to ourselves and and not to be so self-will anymore. A transformation is happening where we have a greater capacity, a greater freedom, a greater power to love those that God has given us, to love the Lord. And with that power, with that freedom, we fly. We're not bogged down. And the world thinks we're crazy because it thinks that we're, we're supposed to be worms who crawl on the ground. And yet we want to fly, and we do. And so people don't understand that. That's not God's problem. It's not really our problem. It's their problem. The world needs to see our love. They need to see the freedom of love flying above it all and raising everything up to the Lord. We need love in the heart of the church, like Saint Therese of Lisieux said. She used the image of the little bird, and the little bird wants to fly up with the great eagles, the other great saints. It wants to fly up to the sun of love and soar with the eagles, but its wings are too weak. But this little bird knows that God would not put such a great desire in its heart if he wasn't going to swoop down himself, the great eagle, and pick this little bird up just like it was his prey and take it up to the sun himself in his own pinions. Well, that's what's in store for us. It takes freedom to allow the Lord to pick you up with his pinions and to carry you where he wants you to go. But it's on his wings. His wings bear us up in rapture whether with deep sorrow or great joys in the midst of afflictions or in the midst of dryness, the Lord himself is the one who, if we're surrendered to, he, he's the one who gives us a freedom we could never imagine. Amen. Freedom. It's a good thing. Amen. I love Amen. it. This is why I love this particular chapter and the fact that we have you to break this open for us, Anthony. I mean, is there anything else that we can glean from this incredible section? I'll just say this, impelled as it is by this great joy, 
the soul cannot be expected to keep silence and dissemble. It would find this no light distress. Ever since the very dawn and revelation of Jesus's earthly mission when he revealed the kingdom of God, what he preached was jubilation. You can think about the wedding feast of Cana and the multiplication, the wine. You know, what is wine but a symbol of joy, a holy inebriation, uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, filling us with a joy so powerful that come what come may, the joy can't be put out. It needs to be shared with others. Or you can look in the Gospel of Luke. First time he preaches, he undoes the scroll and says the blind will see and the, the lame will walk and the deaf will hear and, and that he's come to proclaim a year of favor to the Lord. What he was preaching, what he said Isaiah was prophesying about was the great jubilee, the great rejoicing that was to occur once every 50 years and has a, with the Jewish nation and which really hadn't been celebrated. And he, Jesus, the Messiah, was he was the one, he said, in your hearing, this is being fulfilled. This is fulfilled in your very hearing of it. Jesus preached the gospel because he was so filled with joy, he could no longer remain silent. He unveiled the kingdom of God through the gift of wine at a wedding feast because he wanted joy to be ours. And with this joy is such a powerful and rich and beautiful sorrow. Um, the sorrow that we bear in this life because we don't yet get to see him face to face, but we long for this. And these holy movements of heart, they're seizing your soul right now, whether or not you're aware of it. You don't have to be aware of it to be moved by this joy. You don't have to be aware of it for this sorrow to seize you. So if, if somebody's listening to this right now and they feel dry, they maybe because the anxiety and the fear and the frustration is, seems to be characterizing all the relationships and the Lord seems so far away. Know that these movements that Teresa of Avila is describing and the souls of those who are in transforming union with Jesus, know that these movements are also your movements because we are all part of the same body of Christ. We are all part of the bride whom Jesus has won for himself at great price, the shedding of his blood. These deep movements of heart, you possess them by faith. You don't need to self-generate them. You can just accept them for what they are in your life, that they're there, that they're real, and realize the beautiful things that God bringing to pass in you, the freedom that he's bestowing you with because of your yes to him, because of your faith in him. Believe that the good work that Christ has begun to you is being brought to completion and trust in that and love those that he's given you to love and be devoted to the prayers that he's asked of you to offer him. And you will see this beautiful freedom take over your heart. You will fly like this butterfly. You will, water will well up in your soul and rejoicing grab you in ways that you didn't think could possibly happen. And it can happen so beautifully, so quickly, so hiddenly in your life all we need to do is trust in Him. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? 
Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. St. Teresa speaks to us today, saying, Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. O God, who through your Spirit raised up St. Teresa of Jesus to show the Church the way to seek perfection, grant that we may always be nourished by the food of her heavenly teaching and fired with longing for true holiness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. St. Teresa, pray for us. That we may become worthy of the promises of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. What I'm hoping you might be able to address too in this is to talk to those who are spiritual mentors, spiritual directors, those who feel they have a certain insight on this experience that Teresa is having and their guidance of souls. Because she's talking about confessors that seemed like they knew how to help a soul, and yet she's very clear about uh, those who actually end up doing harm or can inhibit the growth of someone who is trusting them. To those who are offering spiritual counsel to others, as people grow in spiritual maturity, you know, realize this growth can happen. Sometimes it takes a long time, but sometimes it can happen relatively quickly. I I think Father Michael Scanlon was seeing it happen relatively quickly with some of the students at Steubenville when I was there. 
John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila talk about in terms of months and years, not decades. And so when you realize that in a disciplined life, God can work pretty quick, the first thing that a spiritual director must have is a profound humility before the mystery of what God is doing in the heart of the person entrusted to, th to them. We can never presume that we completely understand what God is doing there. We see if somebody's giving spiritual direction, you get to see a little snapshot. And your job as a spiritual director isn't so much to make sure that you're keeping your directee kind of busy with the right kind of exercises so that they, uh, you know, they don't waste their time. That's not the primary job of a spiritual director. The primary job of a spiritual director is to help a soul see the beautiful thing that God is doing in it because they can't see it by themselves. And in order to do this work, a spiritual director needs to be extremely cautious about saying things and doing things that in interrupt the peace of that soul. The fruit of peace and gentleness and tenderness are extremely important if a person is to become free to hear the word of God. You stir and you make the soul anxious about what it's experiencing or not experiencing or what it should do or what it's not doing. And that soul's ability to really discern what God, God is about and it is disturbed because you as a spiritual director have disturbed it. Human spirit very easily can disturb a soul from hearing the, the Holy Spirit and being obedient to it and losing its freedom in, in the process. Now, I'm saying this. Sometimes you're working with people who need to be admonished because they're in sin. Sometimes people are spiritually lazy and they need to be kind of shaken up out of their spiritual slumber. And so sometimes you need to say a strong word. But the context of the strong word should always begin in love, begin in disposing that soul to the beautiful things that God is doing in it. Because the fundamental stance that God has towards that soul is that he has loved that soul so much that he's entrusted that soul to your care for a short period of time. So th those are kind of the fundamental things. How do you get there? I mean, how do you get to a place where you're kind of reverent before what God is doing in a soul? And my counsel to spiritual directors, uh, do not underestimate the amount of time that you yourself need to spend in prayer if you're going to do spiritual direction for another soul. You need to be completely surrendered before the holiness of God and in awe of his total otherness and transcendence and how totally different he is than you and how totally different his judgments are from your judgments. A holy fear should seize you before his presence. Uh, as you allow that to happen in prayer, in spiritual direction, you will begin to notice more and more his presence and the persons that the Lord sends to you to direct. And the holy fear should seize you over the beautiful thing that God is doing in this person that he's entrusted to your care. The final thing is, we, we could do a whole course on spiritual direction, but in talking about the sixth mansion and the sixth chapter, 
and the movements of, of holy sorrow, jubilation, and rapture, I think it's very important to wean a soul away from trying to seek spiritual experiences because spiritual experiences are not the same as God. You want a soul to seek God first and foremost. And then as they seek God, there's experiences that they're going to have. It's okay for them to share the experiences with you and you can help them discern the, the experiences, whether or not they're from God. But you shouldn't be overly curious about them either. The experiences are just tools. They're moments of grace to thank God for with the soul, but they're a means to the end. They're not the end in itself. And so you need to have a kind of freedom and detachment from those experiences. So if a soul describes rapture from you, that the it might be okay for you to observe that, gee, you know, you're pretty early in the spiritual life to have rapturous prayer. So I wonder what the Lord is doing with this. But that's a little bit different than saying you can't have rapture because you're too, <laughs> you're too young spiritually to be able to have that. You, you got to kind of know that the Holy Spirit's going to work the way it works. Or you could observe something like this. You, you're describing the prayer of rapture, but, you know, you're also living in a state of sin. I don't see how these two things go together. Let's discern this together, you know. So that, that certainly happens. The other thing has to do with somebody might read a passage like this and go, oh, I should have sorrow over not seeing the face of God. And so they will try to self-generate sorrow. And, and the way you know they're self-generating it is there will be an absence of peace. There'll be an agitation of soul as they're ex expressing themselves to you. So you need to be able to tell them, you know, you're trying to self-generate this. And this is really a gift from God. It's it's unfolding in you in a much deeper level. And your effort to try to self-generate right now a psychic state of sorrow is actually interfering with the deeper sorrow the Lord wants to produce in you. To so stop it. Be silent before the Lord. Trust in him. Turn your face to him and stop being so self-occupied. Or sometimes a demonic spirit can also be stirring up the sorrow. And so as a spiritual director, you might need to pray with them, or you might need to find somebody who's gifted in praying through spiritual battles and oppression and so forth to free the soul from an unhealthy sorrow, which is oppressive and destructive, so that they can be free of it and find the Lord in a deeper way. These movements of the Holy Spirit of sorrow and joy are real movements that happen in the soul, but they're usually much deeper than we're conscious of. And only a soul that has come through so many purifications as this soul has come through that Teresa of Avila has described at this stage of the interior castle, this soul has a certain freedom to it. And so it has the freedom to be enraptured by the Lord. It has wings that can fly water surging up in it without any effort of its own. It doesn't need to seek experiences. It's indifferent to it. What it's not indifferent to and what has totally caught its heart is the Lord himself. And our job as spiritual directors, we are like the friend of the bridegroom. We bring the person that we're directing to the bridegroom and let the bridegroom reveal his love to them. We lead them out of self-preoccupation 
the pursuit of this experience or that experience. And we help them be completely enamored with and completely aware of and overwhelmed by how much the Lord loves them. If they will believe in him, even when they can't feel him or feel his love, but they trust in it, trust in it so much that they choose to live their life completely for love of him, to spend themselves completely for love of him, we've disposed them to the the most powerful transformative graces that humanity has ever known. Brilliant. Just brilliant. Anthony, thank you so very much. You're welcome, Chris. It was wonderful to be with you. And I I look forward to our next conversation. Get your hiking boots ready because we're climbing a mountain. (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. God bless you. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.